The following podcast is a Dear Media production. There is an element of uh, celebration around doing so much. And there was a really interesting study that came out of Case Western Reserve University by a woman by the name of Jean Twangy. And she discovered that over the last 50 years, we've become more externally driven to the tune of about 80%. So the factors that are important and meaningful to us are now external. Uh, how we look, how much money we have, how famous we might be, how many likes we have on, on Instagram, as opposed to internally driven factors like our connection with self, our relationships. How are my relationships? Our, our spirituality, our creativity. And at the same time, we are 70 to 80% more depressed and anxious. I'm so excited for this week. Not only is Michelle a friend of mine, but she's just an incredible woman. Michelle Kimbolas was the therapist that I used to moderate the episode. If you guys haven't checked this one out, you should, where um, we did a family reunion with my sisters and my mom and I. And so she's become a friend, and like I said, she's an incredible woman. She's not only a meditation teacher, she's a registered therapist, she's a PhD candidate in mind-body medicine, and an acclaimed author and speaker who's been practicing for more than 20 years. She is an unshakable believer in our capacity to self-heal and thrive. Everything Michelle teaches is research-based and rooted in science. I love that about her. But she's also a Buddhist and a vegan who believes strongly in our ability to self-heal. Michelle has helped countless clients lead a more consciously healthy life through the combination of proven Western and Eastern practices, making her practice truly one of a kind. Michelle has been featured on leading media platforms such as Goop, Good Morning America, Huffington Post Live, Sirius Satellite Radio, and Raw Beauty Talks podcast and leads a guided meditation at corporate retreats for some of Canada's best-known companies. In this week's episode, we are diving into all things anxiety. We are talking about what anxiety is, the ways that it affects women more than men, and some practical things, tips and tricks that you guys can use to better your lives, reduce your stress, and, you know, get a little bit more comfortable in this crazy world that we live in. Big things are happening over at Recovering From Reality. We're growing. We are now with a network. As you guys know, the beginning of this episode, you heard that this is a Dear Media production. We're super excited about that. And my book is coming out December 3rd. I am so excited. I cannot wait for you guys to get your hands on this book. It is so good. We just finished our final edits. It's ready to go to print and it will be available on my website and on Amazon. So yeah, doing that, also going to work on an audible version. Um, I'll make sure to throw in a lot of my ASMR voice since I know you guys like that very much. And that's pretty much my update. We're getting close to American Thanksgiving and we celebrate in our household by just taking a moment to breathe, to be with people that we love, and to extend the um, 
invitation to come together and to be thankful and grateful for what we have to others in our community. And so that's what I'll be up to um, next week. And I hope you guys enjoy, I shouldn't say next week, maybe it will be the following week. But as we're coming up on this, I'm focusing on gratitude. Um, And I hope you guys will do that too and enjoy your holiday weekend. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering From Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So are you ready to recover from reality? You guys might remember Michelle. She joined us for the family reunion episode and she's back. She did such a great job at that, that I decided it was definitely time to come back on and have a one-on-one sit down to talk all things anxiety. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you again. We were just talking about the reunion episode that was back in February and you've done a lot. Yeah. Since then. (laughs) It's been a wild nine months. Yeah. And productive and meaningful, deeply meaningful. And so I've been following along and listening to your podcasts and Mm. really celebrating the way that you are um, supporting people um, in providing really good quality information on mind, body, health and, and all topics that really empower us in the face of stress and everything else that we are facing in this age of anxiety. Oh, yes. You know what I was just talking about the other day is since this shift took place culturally for us where we idolize the individual and care about the individual more than the collective, we've also gotten into this crazy war of whoever is the most stressed is the best, is the most important, right? It's like like a badge badge of of honor. honor. How did we get here? Oh, there's so many different factors for sure. And um, yeah, we are more stressed than than ever before. And a lot of it has to do with uh, our hurried, worried lifestyles. And we're facing, you know, sociopolitical trauma on a daily basis and our food quality is declined. And it's really time to take stock and look at the choices that we're making and be real warriors towards a gentler way of being because all of these lifestyle factors are wreaking havoc on our health and our mind-body system. Yeah. So it's time. And it's a very brave thing because there is an element of a celebration around doing so much. And there was a really interesting study that came out of Case Western Reserve University by a woman by the name of Jean Twangy. And she discovered that over the last 50 years, we've become more externally driven to the tune of about 80%. So, so the factors that are important and meaningful to us are now external. Uh, how we look, how much money we have, how famous we might be, how many likes we have on, on Instagram, as opposed to internally driven factors like our connection with self, our relationships. How are my relationships? Our spirituality, our creativity. And at the same time, we are 
70 to 80 percent more depressed and anxious. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So. And we know like there's amazing studies like the rat park studies, right, where they put these, they isolated these rats in cages and they gave them two water options, one that had opiates and one that didn't. All of the rats became addicted. Then they took those same rats, they put them together in this place called Rat Park or Rat City where they had toys and food and friends and all of the things, right? And nearly all of them got off the opiates. Same thing with the Vietnam War vets. They all came home. They were all using opiates out there and heavily addicted because of all of the trauma that they were going through. And then when they came and they were isolated and separated and they didn't have that their typical support group, and then they came back home and nearly all of them also got sober and got better. So when we talk about the fact that we now hold the individual as more of a priority than the collective, we can see the way that in our societies we're falling apart. And talk about anxiety, we were meant to operate in tribes, right? And if you back several thousand years ago didn't have your tribe and you were faced with either, um, you know, a huge weather event or an animal attack or whatever it might have been, right, throughout your community— um, or in your tribe, and and you didn't have that tribe to everybody to rally together and defend, you were screwed. So of course you would have major anxiety. And so now when we're talking about children who are getting on anxiety meds, I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah. So it's as much a psycho-spiritual um, challenge and crisis as, you know, anything else. And you're right, the the disconnection and loneliness has increased prolifically. And, you know, we're 50% more lonely than we've ever been. Um, if you look at the data over the last 30 years, so it's increased by 50%. And at the same time, there really is no better predictor of, um, you know, decreasing your lifespan and decreasing your overall health than, you know, isolating people. So... Yeah, a sense of connection is critical. And when we're all looking at our phones yeah. and having this false sense of connection, um, that's having a big impact. And it's having a terrible impact on our children. Yes. I was just going to bring up the kid thing. So um, I'm guilty of giving my kid an iPad. You know, my husband and I just sat down for dinner at a restaurant and one of them is starting to act up and I'm just like, okay, here you go. You can watch this until the food comes. But I do try to be super mindful about having that eye-to-eye connection and spending more time having that eye-to-eye and heart-to-heart than we spend on the iPads. I mean, listen, technology is a really interesting thing because it was designed to make our lives easier easier and it's made them more chaotic. Now anybody can access me and email me at 5 a.m. and I get a ding on my phone. They can call me or text me whenever they want. Back in the day when we just had house phones, no one would dare call your household before 7.38 in the morning, right? You wouldn't. Like I remember being a kid and my mom would be like, you can't call, you know, Rebecca's house at seven o'clock. It's way too early. You're going to wake up the whole house, right? Right. And I mean, I'm old enough now that I've seen the whole progression um, Mm. when I was a teen and even in my early 20s, we were just starting to have computers and email and no one had a cell phone and uh, there was spaciousness and and time in um, where you could, you know, really check in with self and, and 
have enough room to be creative and be active. Um, but now as soon as there is any kind of space, we want to fill it. We want to grab mm -hmm. our phone. We want to um, fill it with something that distracts us from our internal reality. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about numbing out. And I mean, we're just starting to hear more about addiction to our technology and cell phones and stuff, but it is a very, very real issue. And one that I think that we, that comes down to the very simple thing of, of we need to be spending more time connecting with each other than we do on our phones. And I'm not talking about sending your grandma an email. I'm not talking about, you know, calling someone is great, but I mean, in your immediate world, spending more time connecting with the people around you than having our faces buried in the phone. And I think we're really talking about mindfulness. How are we developing a mindful relationship with technology? One of the first things that I do when I'm when I'm working with a client who's struggling with anxiety is we do a lifestyle audit. And that's one of the things, that's one of the factors that we assess. What is your relationship with technology? Do you put your phone out of the room? Do you give yourself a break between the busyness of the day and, and you know, trying to fall asleep at night in order to ensure that the brain is settling down? Our brains are in high drive, fight or flight much of the time. So that means cascades of, of stress hormones like cortisol and, and adrenaline are pumping through our body, wreaking havoc on our organs. Yes. And I know this to be true because um, I literally just went to my cardiologist yesterday because I've been having this weird pain in my chest and in my arm. And listen, I'm a very mindful person, you guys. I consider myself here. And here's the other factors. Some are more resilient than others. And I'm not that much of a resilient person. I'm just not. I did my adverse childhood experience study and I scored a nine out of 10 for the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And then I did the opposition study, right? Which is how much resilience you have to counteract the trauma. And I scored like, I think a four out of 10. I'm not a resilient person at all. And so everybody is different, right? Um, so despite the fact that I've done so much therapy and so much work on my trauma and I've done all of the things that I've done, I'm still feeling the physical effects of years and years of cortisol and stress. And my doctor was like, you need to pull back even more, even more. And I'm like, how, how do I do that when I'm a working mom juggling a million things all at once? She's like, I don't know, but you need to take an inventory of your life yeah. and see what areas you can you know, relieve the stress and also do other things. And we'll dive into this, like the breathing techniques throughout the day. So a um, 15 minute meditation in the morning and 15 minutes at night, it's maybe not enough for me. Maybe I need to be doing the breathing exercises throughout the day. And so now I went and I saw one of my spiritual teachers who's actually a physical therapist of mine who's incredible. Nice combination. And he had, you know, he's incredible. And he has this really cool technology. So he puts the pulse ox machine on your finger so yeah. you can see your heart rate and he can see how much oxygen you have. And then he puts these weird clips on your ears and he can see the way that your heart is peaking. If it's stressed, it peaks and it does a really high ding. If it's like a relaxed, it's more like a, a it's like the difference between a mountain peak and like 
rolling with the waves, right? right? Like this is heart rate variability. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. So he gets you in. So when he heals your body, you have to be in the state of the wave and not in the peaks. Otherwise, your body just goes, no, I don't want to receive the healing because it's in a stressed out state. He gets you there through the breathing. So, and you know, this is biofeedback and it's a very it powerful yes. approach to managing anxiety, but our body is giving us that biofeedback mm-hmm. all the time. All the, the time. signals are happening, yes. but we're just not paying attention. Yes. Are your feet cold? Are your hands cold? Well, that means the blood is moving no. from your extremities to your to your core because it, it's concerned that you're in danger and it's yeah. trying to protect itself. Are you getting headaches? Are you getting stomach aches? What's happening with your gut health and um, and your muscle tension? Do you have soreness in your back and in your TMJ, neck? TMJ, yes. Right. <laughs> Hand up. <laughs> yeah, so he has me put these little um, bright red fluorescent red dots in my car, on my phone, all over my house. And it's every cool, time I it? see it, I go, oh, check back into my breathing and get back into that state of homeostasis. And you will be amazed in the way, this is what he was telling me yesterday, that your body just self-repairs. You don't need a million supplements and all of the things. Eat a good diet, drink enough water, and get your body into a state of homeostasis and get enough sleep. And you'll be amazed by the way that things just start going and start repairing themselves. And I was like, wow, that's yeah, regulating totally your breath to me. is the fast track to calming your nervous system. And yeah. it's so immediate. And you hear people say, oh, just take a breath. And automatic reaction is often to roll our eyes because yeah. usually it's not coming from a very um, a supportive place. It usually yeah. happens in the middle of an argument. But it's true. If, if you can just stop and take a low and slow breath or practice square breathing, yeah. then it it triggers a response within the mind-body system that's very soothing. And then we want to practice it throughout the day rather than only Just during those times stress. when you're in crisis. Yes. Yeah. And it does another thing that's really important. It roots you in present time. And fear is based on a future-focused, fear-based life. Yeah. So when you're rooted in present time, everything is manageable. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, I first want to just clarify the difference between an anxiety disorder and normal anxiety. One of the very first things that I was taught when I was newly sober was that life is uncomfortable and you need to learn to be able to sit in the discomfort and that that, even if you're having anxiety in the moment, doesn't mean that you have an anxiety disorder. It just means that you're dealing with an anxious or, you know, an anxiety driven moment? That's a great question. And yes, so much of life is emotion filled. And part of the problem is that we hold this belief system that we shouldn't feel anxious, we shouldn't feel sad, we shouldn't feel angry. And yet those emotions are so important. They tell us where we are at. And so when we learn to make space for them, connect with them and observe them equanimously, so that means just neutrally. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is just moving through. Um, That's a very soothing, life-affirming skill to have. Now, the difference between the kind of stress that's really um, going to be detrimental to your your health, it kind of goes something like this. If you have a stressor and your mind-body system is responding to that stress 
in the typical ways your heart is racing, your mind is racing, um, maybe you're getting clammy. Um, this is your mind body telling you, okay, you need to pay attention, you might be in danger, and you need to do something to regulate yourself. So as the stressor goes away or you put different systems or tools in place in order to down-regulate, your cortisol levels decrease, your your um, epinephrine levels decrease, and you calm down. But with critical levels of stress, the kind of stress that falls into an anxiety disorder, once that stimulus is gone, you're still in that state. And that state shows up very randomly and consistently. Yeah. So you're out of balance and, and in an internal state of agitation um, continuously. I think that it's safe to say, and I don't want to downplay men and their own stress and anxiety and things like that, but I feel like we are in a place where we're now recognizing how much more anxious women are than ever before. Women are twice as likely to have an anxiety disorder yeah. compared to men. So women are affected deeply. And I think we're trying to just be all things to all people all the time. And the fear that, you know, men don't have the fear that they need to get their key out when they're walking towards their car because they might be attacked. Men don't have that fear that, you know, they might be raped if they do whatever. At You know, most men don't, right? That's not the experience of most men, but it is for, I'm gonna argue almost all women you hear the horror stories yes we're hardwired to be on alert Mm -hmm. and to and to worry about what's happening in our environment yeah and and we've had to as a as a defense mechanism you know i'd argue since really like the beginning of time is we we have especially in you know patriarchal societies had to have our walls up to keep ourselves safe. And I'm looking at places that are still dealing with, I mean, the whole world is still dealing with issues of rape and sexual abuse of young girls and women. And it's like, we feel that. I I, I don't think enough people are talking about how as a, as a collective, whether we're aware of it or not, like we're feeling that, you know, like the rapes that are happening in India and all over the world of women, like I feel that. With at least one out of three women yeah. having experienced sexual assault, that trauma has an effect um, long term and it's built in every single cell within our body. Mm-hmm. And the body keeps the score. So you can, you know, you can manage for a while, but at some point it's going to be triggered and and take you down to your knees yeah. again. Um, and it's passed it's through generationally latent. too. Right. Our mothers taught us this, you know, to be, a, at least mine did, to be on alert and afraid of what might happen and always watch your back and all of these things, right? Because of the trauma that happened to them. And I'd argue that it does get passed down in that way too. Well, and you're talking about the collective unconscious. The collective Mm -hmm. unconscious of the female is very fear-based because we have a long-standing history of being in danger. Yeah. And so when this last election, they said so many white women, the vast majority of white women voted for Trump. I'd argue that their fear of their partners or the men in their life drove them to do that. I would have to agree. 
and aware of it or not. I would have to agree. Yeah, because we are programmed to be good little girls who follow orders and we don't care if, you know, if men grab us by our pussies, a lot of people are 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 programmed to believe that that's their fault. Right. Still in yes. 2020. Yeah, I should have done something different, yeah. you know, m- maybe my dress was too provocative, provocative, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, while we're starting to gain some movement and awareness and collective wisdom around this problem, we have so far to go. Yeah. There's so far to go. Yeah. What are some of the steps? I know that um, my community here, we're a community of people who are trying to either undo patterns or who have already done the work and are focused on parenting our children in a certain way. But I really want to start with ourselves. Like what are some of the very first, you had said, take a inventory of your life. I thought that that was great. And so we're looking at a clear picture. Everyone should do this. I just think that this is something that every couple of months we should do. Like in what areas of my life am I struggling you know, what things are bringing me anxiety? Do you know, I, I often have clients do this one exercise and it's such an eye opener in terms of how stressful and how packed in our lives are. And that is write down everything that you do in your day for three days. My mind and would have blow a look. up. <laughs> my brain <laughs> right? would fry. Yeah. And then ask yourself, where is my self-care? Mm. Where is the the spaciousness, where am I just, you know, taking the heat off and relaxing, um, going for a walk, being out in nature, practicing my meditation or yoga, connecting with my children in play, whatever it may be that soothes you, that cultivates a mindset of, um, of peace and inner balance. Where are you making time for that? Because your habits really dictate your state of being. Yeah. It's not it's not our thoughts dictate our life, which everybody who is, a you know, in the old school manifesting, you know, a lot of them say like, oh, mm-hmm. think, think, think positive thoughts and then you'll experience, experience, experience. No, it's before the thought. It's programming our bodies to be in a state of equilibrium and then the manifesting or positivity or space or freedom or however you want to put it starts to happen. Yes. And so the other shift is just to simply ask yourself, how do I want to feel mm-hmm. within myself? How do I want to feel? And in what ways are my thoughts and my behaviors supporting me versus hindering me in my path towards having more joy, happiness, peace of mind? Yeah. Yeah. So important. So if you take a a kind of a picture of of your life and you're like, okay, this is clearly too much, but I have to work a nine to five and I'm a mom and I have to make dinner every night and and do these things. What are some beginning steps? Really keep an eye on your sleep because we know that as soon as you're sleep deprived, your anxiety levels are going to go through the roof. So Getting enough sleep is a number one. If you're struggling with sleep, look towards magnesium or some melatonin. Deep breathing at night or progressive relaxation, which you can look up online. It's a process where you're squeezing different muscle groups and and then relaxing them, which um, it, it facilitates the, the relaxation response. And then have a look at your diet. 
So we know that for those people that are not getting enough nutrients, anxiety levels will increase. If you're not getting enough L-thionine, um, vitamin B6, mm-hmm. D, E, then you're at risk of higher levels of anxiety. So a nutrient-dense diet facilitates greater well-being. And so many people are just depleted of D, especially Michelle's from Vancouver. So you are probably supplementing them, oh, yeah. I'm sure. But a lot of people aren't supplementing enough. My chiropractor, and you should talk to your doctor about this. I'm not a doctor. Has me on 8,000 IUs of D a day, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of people are like, that's a lot. And you live in Southern California. Yes, but I'm inside a lot of the day. I am, um, I use SPF. So many of us are so afraid of the sun now that we're constantly like throwing SPF all over our bodies, but we actually need a certain amount of sun. But in order to get the vitamin D that you need from the sun, you need to spend 25 minutes outside around noon, fully naked. How many people are actually doing that? <laughs> um, yeah. Not enough. That's exactly, that's exactly it. So bolstering your vitamin D is really important. And, uh, and the other piece is getting out in nature. Mm. So we're inside so often. So, you know, that's denying the vitamin D levels that we, that we need, but also we're not getting enough blood flow to our brain system in order to be able to um, create that internal balance and counteract the effects of stress. Another thing that I love about Vancouver, just the walking. Everybody's walking all the time. We We're, try. It's amazing. Yeah, and we it's went, a very active place. We went to Lighthouse Park the last time that we were there and we walked through and I was like, this is this is literally magic. It's beautiful. It's stunning. And we're grateful. We're mo- Most Vancouverites are, are grateful every day to, to live there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's another factor in terms of counteracting stress when you can find um, the small pieces to um, be in gratitude with that, um, that changes your mindset towards um, a mindset that is, um, well, just bolter, bolsters your overall outlook and, and yeah, calms you down. And even more than just thinking about what we're grateful for every day, which I think is great, but writing it down and then focusing on that thing for 30 seconds to a minute and actually feeling what that feeling brings you. And we were just talking about the body connection, right? It's so much more than just thinking the positive thoughts. It's bringing our body into a place of equilibrium, but also allowing our body to really feel joy, to really feel peace, to really feel safe, you know, and and to allow ourselves to be in that state for a few minutes every day, just really hyper-focused on that makes a huge difference. Yeah, you were, you were talking about the power of meditation and um, there's a form of meditation, meta-meditation, which is loving kindness, where in the meditation you're focusing on the loving kindness within your heart and and really immersing yourself in that feeling, directing it towards yourself And then you go through all of the different people in your life that you'd like to share that feeling of loving kindness towards. And then you finally um, bring your focus to someone that you may be struggling with. Yeah. And direct that compassion to them. 
And there's strong research to show that it decreases depression and it decreases anxiety, bolsters relationships. Yeah. So if you practice loving kindness for 10 minutes every day, that's very powerful. And with meditation, you talked about 15 minutes every day uh, in the morning and then in the evening. If you can meditate for 30 minutes in a sit for eight weeks time, it grows four regions of your brain and increases the connection between the amygdala, the fight or flight response, and your mid prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain that regulates emotion. So you're actually growing gray matter, but most, most importantly, you're supporting your brain in the areas that are so important in terms of being in the moment, being in a state of compassion, and regulating stress and bolstering resiliency. Yeah. Cool, right? They looked at people who meditate for 20 years past the age of 50, and they have the brain mass of a 25-year-old. That's incredible. Wow. So keep doing that. So let's see. So if you already have, say, full-blown anxiety disorder, meaning your body just throws you into panic attacks all the time, it's not for any specific reason, you're not in danger, you're just walking around, and all of a sudden you go into an anxiety attack or you're in the shower and it starts, it just hits you. What it's are, terrifying. It's so it's brutal. It's so scary. It's yeah. something that I've struggled with on and off since the birth of my first daughter. I When after I had Harper, I was having 10 panic attacks a day. Oh my just goodness. Just out of nowhere. And they'd last for like 30 minutes. It was horrendous. And I've talked a lot about what I did and what I think has really helped me. I ended up choosing the medication route as along with and this is my thing. I have nothing against medication. It's just we need a holistic approach, right? We need to be doing all these things because medication, I think, is really helpful in in the temporary, but it's not something that we want to rely on in the long run, right? So it's that we need to be doing other things to support our recovery. And so, of course, when I'm having 10 panic attacks a day, getting on medication is necessary. I couldn't parent. At times, it's absolutely necessary. Yes. Um, and I take a stepladder approach where we're, you know, like I say, we look at nutrition and, and activity levels and sleep and lifestyle and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then treatments like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. where you're really working with the thinking mind and working with uh, tools and skills in order to self-soothe and calm. But if your anxiety levels are so high that you can barely make it through the day, you're not going to be able to access those tools and skills exactly. very well. Yes, exactly. And that is when I think medication can be huge and and really helpful. Right. And can I just jump in with yeah. a piece of advice around medication? Because people, do, they, they start to feel better. And there's a trend that I see towards um, feeling better and then very quickly... Um, tapering off or stopping medication altogether. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't realize is that that can be very dangerous. Yeah. And, um, And so when you're tapering off, so, so important to work with someone and to do that slowly because the, um, the side effects of going down on medication can take you right back to square one or, or worse. Exactly. And there are times where if a medication isn't working, maybe you just decrease the dose, right? 
maybe you went from taking a medication twice a day to just half of a dose before bed. And it's keeping everything at bay, allowing you to get the appropriate sleep and you're tapering as you're increasing your meditation, increasing your exercise, increasing staying at home and cooking healthy meals, increasing seeing a therapist. That's the way that I would suggest, you know, as as you're taking more time to self-care throughout your day, you're doing your breathing techniques throughout the day, you're checking in with a therapist at least twice a month, hopefully every week, you're doing your meditation every morning and night and all of these things, you're going to see major improvements in your life. And sometimes medication makes it possible to do all of those things. Yeah. Mindfully working with guides and your doctor and, and, uh, and therapists, um, is super important. And for, you know, for those who can't afford therapy, your GP should be able to provide some alternatives and bolster you with, with, you know, some support. And, um, and there are all kinds of, we're talking about technology. There are a lot of online supports now as well. Yeah. Talkspace, CallMap, all Mm -hmm. of these things that are now, you know, much lesser and price, but that can help you to, you know, and even just like the simple things of calling, reaching out to a friend, Mm -hmm. a friend who you know is going to be supportive, non-judgmental, not give unsolicited advice. Maybe you don't have a friend like that. Maybe you just make a point to spending time with someone and having that eye to eye connection, having a meal with someone, doing things that feel out of your comfort zone, but at the end of the day, help with your recovery, I think, is really important. I think so much of the problem with anxiety is that people don't see that you're suffering and the Mm -hmm. symptoms are so internal and intrinsic. They don't see that your heart is racing or that your mind is going in a million directions. They don't see the panic response. And so often people don't know and they're often quite surprised to, to hear that you have anxiety. So getting really brave, really courageous and sharing it with your support systems, it becomes really important. On average, people wait 10 years before they get treatment. Wow. And anxiety is the most treatable mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's a crazy statistic. Yeah. How did you get into this work? We totally skipped over that and we just dove right in. But I'm curious <laughs> if you'd share with us. Um, and I'm, yeah, enjoying the conversation. It's so important and um, enriching, you know, when we can connect and, and talk about um, something that none of us are immune from. How did I get into this work? My, my early family life was filled with trauma. And so as a result, so we're talking um, brother with borderline personality Mm. disorder, very, very violent. um, And people didn't understand borderline at the time. In fact, it wasn't really identified until he was in his 30s. And um, so that and, you know, my dad was a race car driver. He was the second Canadian to race the Indianapolis 500. And I grew up on racetracks. And that sounds like a really fun thing. But as a child, I was watching crashes all the time and my cortisol levels were through the roof. Adrenaline levels were through the roof and a crash would occur and I would automatically think it was my dad. And so the ecosystem that I was in was difficult. Mom had depression 
and dad was on the road all the time, probably 11 months out of the year. And then, you know, then I start to have panic attacks. So I can remember, well, I'll roll it back because anxiety disorders are very progressive. I can remember in, I was probably grade seven and I was a figure skater. And if you, if you grew up in Northern BC, it's almost a birthright to have blades slapped to the bottom of mm. your feet. So you're either a hockey player or a skater. And, um, and I loved skating, but I would go out onto the ice and a routine that I would have practiced hundreds of times, I would forget as soon as I had to perform. So I had performance anxiety, which then moved into social anxiety in high school, not being able to put up my hand and speak in class. And then I started to have panic attacks. And you've had panic attacks. You know that you literally feel like you're dying. Mm -hmm. And those carried on until I had my second son. And I had a panic attack driving across Lionsgate Bridge that was so severe that my hands seized, the muscles in my hands and my face seized, and I thought I was having like a, stroke. a stroke. Yeah. So ambulance came and took me to the hospital, and I discovered that it was just a severe panic attack. And I knew then that the anxiety had become so severe that it, it could potentially endanger me or my kids, and it was time to actually take it seriously. So I started CBT treatment and some EMDR which is another powerful treatment method. And within a few months, the symptoms were completely gone. And I had waited, I'm going to say, 15 years before I started to um, get treatment. That's 15 years of unnecessary suffering. So with that history, I became really curious about mental health and, um, and wanted to forge a path in order to support people who may be suffering and so now I've been a therapist for over 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, too, where a lot of people can often feel really hopeless when they're dealing with anxiety and with mental health issues. And so much of the time, if you get the proper treatment, you can realize that this this actually turns you into a more empathetic, loving, kind connected human being. And so these moments of our lives that are so challenging, that feels like we're at the bottom of the barrel, there's no way out, we don't see the light at the end, can actually be the best thing that ever happened to us. And because once we start working the tool, then it does not happen overnight. I'm here to tell you that. Like it's it's been a work in progress since my early sobriety, right? The first the entire first two years of my sobriety I didn't think I had a problem at all. There was no anxiety, no depression. <laughs> it's everyone else. Fine. Yeah. And I was like, and I feel great. I mean, being a heroin addict for that long and then you get sober, you're like, oh, this feels amazing. You know, and then after the birth of my first daughter, I had some PTSD from that and postpartum depression, anxiety. And it wasn't until she was 18 months that, so that's, you know, three and a half years into recovery before I realized like, oh, you actually have an anxiety disorder and it's taken me the last five years to really figure out because I've had highs and lows in it. And sometimes and that's the other thing, too. It's so easy to get complacent when things start to get better mm -hmm. and then it piles back on. Mm -hmm. So I'd really say in the last three years, it's been me getting on the path for the most part of like a regular routine 
right? That And that's the difference is being in a regular routine. And I've also struggled with severe depression that w- was not treatable. Like we could not figure out medication and it was so bad. And I ended up doing transcranial magnetic stimulation over, well, from March until July, pretty much. So that once my depression was lifted, I was like, oh, this is, it's so hard to dictate like what is depression and then what is the anxiety when you have both. And usually they go hand in hand. They they often go hand in hand and yeah. it has to do with this, you know, same um, neurochemicals in the brain system. So often, yeah, you, you, you'll get both. But you're such a beautiful example of really doing the work. And you, you keep seeking and looking for answers and you invest your time and, and resources for that matter in order to be able to find all kinds of mind, body, health methods to bolster your well-being. And that takes a lot of tenacity. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess I'm just, yeah, I'm just not willing to give up. (laughs) Right. So maybe even though I don't, maybe I don't have that great of coping skills or resilience, but I have this in me that's like, you're not giving up. You're just going to keep, we're just going to keep going and you keep fighting until we thrive. figure it out. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so, and, but there's a balance between like, you know, that drive and like knowing when to pull back because I often think we have to be doing so much in order to achieve wellness but I'm actually here to say that you don't. You actually need to pull back and do less. It's getting down to the basics that help us achieve that overall state of well-being. So interesting. You know, um, I did a 10-day silent meditation retreat last year. I don't know how you did that. And it was all, I'm telling oh. you, it was tough. It was like meditation jail. And, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I came out of it feeling incredible for that exact reason that life becomes very simple. You go to bed at the same time, you get up at the same time, you meditate like crazy, you face the inner constructs of your of your mind, you allow emotion, you metabolize it and um, and bring life right down to the core, fundamental um, denominator of who we are, which is nature. That's interesting. So, yeah. I mean, Maybe it, one day I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. You can do it. Maybe You're strong. If anyone can do it, it's you. Oh, Lord. That's that's 10 days. That's a long time. Yeah. Maybe we'll start with two. Yeah, <laughs> work. I'll work Just my way start where you are. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. Where can everybody find you? You can find me at michellecambolas.com or on Instagram at michellecambolas. Perfect. Come join me. And it will all be in the show notes, you guys. Thanks for sticking around and thanks for coming. This week's affirmation is, I am more at ease every day. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 